0: It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word, Broomgate. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Welcome to the Girlfriend's Guide to Sports podcast. I'm your host, Claire Coles, and this is a special bonus episode for the college football preview for the 2022 season. So if you did not keep up during the offseason, I got you. I'll go over all the major headlines to watch as we enter into week zero. College football is back it's week zero so we do have some games today as I discussed in the weekly update but the season really starts on Labor Day weekend it is a full weekend slate every team is pretty much back so let's get you ready with all you need to know about this season as things got crazy over the summer you don't have to worry about any of that I'm going to catch you up right now Let's start with the basics. Who's in the top 25? So, we've got the preseason AP poll came out a couple of weeks ago. The AP poll is used as the official ranking system until the college football playoff rankings come out, and that doesn't start until about November. It is determined by sports writers, and it comes out every week on usually on Sundays about 2 p.m. Central, if all the games are on Saturday. The college football playoff rankings come out on Tuesday nights with a TV show on ESPN once those begin. You'll also hear of a coaches poll. This poll is voted on by FBS coaches who are members of the American Football Coaches Association. They don't always match, and I'll give you an example here in a second, but let's go through the top 25. Starting with number one, Alabama, then Ohio State, Georgia, Clemson, and Notre Dame. Those are your top five followed by Texas A&M, Utah, Michigan, Oklahoma, and Baylor. Those are your top 10. 11 and counting, Oregon, Oklahoma State, NC State, USC, Michigan State, Miami, Pitt, Wisconsin, Arkansas, Kentucky, Ole Miss, Wake Forest, Cincinnati, Houston, and rounding out the top 25 is BYU. So let's go through a conference breakdown. The SEC leads the all the Power Five conferences with six in the top twenty-five. ACC set a record, a new conference record, with five. The Big Ten has four. The Pac-12 and the Big Twelve each have three. Now the American and the Independents, who so are not Power Five, are tied with two apiece. There were some records broken this year. LSU was not ranked for the first time since 2000. And Texas, if you'll notice, is also not listed for the first time since 2016. Now, like I said, I was going to mention the coaches poll. Texas is actually ranked 14th on the coaches poll. So that is quite a disparity between the two being 14 and not ranked at all. Vanderbilt is the only power five school to have never been ranked in the preseason top 25. So, but really do preseason rankings actually even matter? 46 teams were ranked throughout the year last year at any point during the season, Only 11 teams that were ranked in the preseason ended up in the final rankings after the season was completely over. Number three, Michigan was not ranked to start the preseason and obviously ended up number three, along with three others in the top 10. On the other side of that, number six in preseason, Texas A&M ended up the year not ranked. So you determine whether you want to take the preseason rankings into account. So let's go throw back to previous seasons just to get a little bit more color around the college football playoff. The reigning champs from last year are the Georgia Bulldogs. Now remember they won over the Alabama Crimson Tide 33 to 11. Last year's college football playoff, which means your final four, was Alabama, Georgia, Michigan, and Cincinnati. The only teams to have ever made the CFP Final Four, which started in the 2014 season, are Alabama, who has made seven. They've only missed the 2019 CFP. Oregon, Florida State, Ohio State, they've made four. Clemson has been in six. Michigan State, Oklahoma has been in four. Washington, Georgia has shown in two. Notre Dame also has been in two. LSU and Cincinnati. Cincinnati. That is in order of appearance. So that's why there's like weird duplicates thrown in there every once in a while. So of the during the 2014 season onward, the college football playoff national champs have been Ohio State to start Alabama three times Clemson twice LSU and Georgia three finals of the eight that we've had so far were Alabama versus Clemson. And Alabama has actually been to six finals. That is 75% of the time Alabama has been one of the top two teams in the nation. So it's football season. Obviously, it's going to be all over your TV. So what do you watch? First of all, college game day starts every Saturday on ESPN at 8 a.m. This is a pregame show that runs until kickoff of the first game that starts at 11 a.m. This is all in central time, by the way. Every week, the location of college game day changes, usually based on where the best game is that week. It tries not to repeat, so if you've been to Ohio State already, they usually try not to go back to the same campus. The hosts of the show are Reese Davis, Lee Corso, Desmond Howard, David Pollock, and Kirk Herbstreit. Des is a Heisman Trophy winner running back from Michigan. Pollock was a linebacker at Georgia and is now in the College Hall of Fame. Herb Street is a well-known announcer now, but has played quarterback for Ohio State back in the day. And Lee Corso is also called coach because he was the head coach for Louisville and Indiana for a while. The show goes through storylines from the games of the week, as well as those feel-good pieces we all love. I mean, who didn't get teary-eyed during the Iowa hospital wave story? If you don't know what I'm talking about, there is a link on the blog. The show always ends with Pickums which means the panel picks who they think will win this week. These are outright wins, so no line, throw it all out the window, just who's going to win the game. They also invite a famous guest picker to come in and pick with them as well. Usually that guest picker has a relation to one of the schools that's playing and usually the one that you're sitting on campus And the very last of the show, Lee Corso puts on the mascot head or holds an animal or something like that to indicate his pick for the main game. So that's college game day. And then football game times are typically at 11 a.m., 2.30 p.m., and 6.30 p.m. again All of this is central. Some games do start in between all of that, depending on their TV schedule. ABC is considered the prime games, but Fox usually has a great matchup for the 11 a.m. slot. So there are some notable games this season that I want to highlight. This is all sort of rankings taken in, also just rivalry games, games that I think will have Playoff, potentially, if not conference championship implications. So these are my notable games of the season. In the non-con, week one, so this week is week zero, so not today, but week one, we've got Oregon versus Georgia. Potential playoff teams automatically facing off. I love it. Notre Dame versus Ohio State, Florida versus Utah, and LSU versus Florida State. Killer week one. It's going to be awesome. Week two, we have Texas versus Alabama and Baylor versus BYU. All four of those are ranked in the top 25 as of right now. Week three, we see kind of a matchup of old champions, Oklahoma versus Nebraska, Oregon versus BYU, Penn State versus Auburn. Again, kind of those typical schools that have always been good at football, but aren't ranked right now. And then Miami versus Texas A&M. Then we get into regular conference play, so these are usually inside the conference rivals. Clemson versus NC State, I think that'll be a great game. That will be October 1st. Texas A&M versus Alabama, October 8th. Texas versus Oklahoma, October 8th. USC versus Utah on October 15th, as well as Arkansas versus BYU on the same day. Then we skip to November 5th. We have Baylor versus Oklahoma, as well as Notre Dame versus Clemson. Then the last two weekends in November, we've got a packed slate. On November 19th, we have Miami versus Clemson, Utah versus Oregon, and Oklahoma State versus Oklahoma. Then on November 26th, that is considered rivalry week. It is the Egg Bowl, which is Alabama versus Auburn, then Notre Dame versus USC, and Michigan versus Ohio State. I literally think Michigan versus Ohio State could determine who goes to the Big Ten championship game and who goes to the college football playoff. After that, it is conference championship week. That's the weekend of December 3rd. Then it's bowl season. So as of this year, the college football semifinals will be the Fiesta Bowl and the Peach Bowl, and the national championship will be in L.A. on January 9th, which is always a Monday. So going back to the bowl games, to go bowling, you need, a, that's what they call it, you need at least six wins. So any type of winning record usually sends a team to a bowl game. There are 12 weeks of the college football regular season, so you will hear records expressed as figures that add up to 12. A 10-2 and two team is a great team, a 6-6 six and six team is a mediocre team, and obviously a 3-9 and nine team is a bad team. The New Year's Six games are considered the best after playoff games, and they're usually reserved for the best in each of the conferences. So the Rose Bowl, the Sugar Bowl, Orange Bowl, Cotton Bowl, Peach Bowl, and the Fiesta Bowl. Those comprise the New Year's Six. There are some that have group affiliations. So let's go over those. The Rose Bowl is usually a Big Ten versus a Pac-12 team. The Sugar Bowl is the Big 12 versus the SEC. And the Orange Bowl is an ACC team versus either the Big Ten, the SEC, or Notre Dame. Those are the only three that have ties, but the best group of five team, which means a non-Power Five school, is also guaranteed a New Year's Six Bowl game. Just to cover all of my bases here, just in case you guys don't know, the Power 5 includes the ACC, the Big 10, the Big 12, the Pac 12, and the SCC. So here are some one liners I think personify the major storylines for the upcoming 2022 season. Will they live up to the hype? That is talking about USC and Texas. Those two teams are steeped with talent, but have been very lackluster as of late, but look to be promising, but we'll see. Is the dynasty over? This is about Clemson and UNC. And by UNC, I kind of more mean the Mac Brown head coach dynasty, not necessarily the team. But they did have a great quarterback last year, and they still couldn't do anything, and and they didn't win the ACC. Who needs a bounce-back season? Clemson's offense, because literally the only reason why Clemson was decent last year was because of their defense. Their offense was horrible. They didn't even score over 30 points in the last seven games. Also, Florida needs a bounce-back season desperately, and Indiana. Does the rebound coach work out? Oklahoma, Oregon, and Notre Dame. All three of those teams lost their head coach, and it was a bit of a surprise. So will the rebound coach work out? Can they break into that next level? This is talking about Texas A&M. The Aggies have the top recruiting class with a record-tying 24 recruits ranked inside of that ESPN top 300. But can they finally break into that final four because they've never been there? They did beat Alabama last year, but they still missed out can they actually do it who's in the bottom of the cfp barrel these four had terrible seasons last year but can they bounce back and do anything better it doesn't look great but these are those four kansas was 2 and 10 last year vanderbilt was 2 and 10 last year but 0 and 8 in the sec arizona went 1 and 11 and duke went 3 and 9 which doesn't sound as bad but they went 0 and 8 in the acc The only one I really think could have a turnaround season is Vanderbilt because their non-con or their non-conference schedule looks pretty easy. So we had a crazy coach shuffle this offseason. So let's go through the schools who got new head coaches. Florida's new head coach is Billy Napier. He came from Louisiana. LSU's new head coach is Brian Kelly. He came from Notre Dame. Miami's new head coach is Mario Cristobal. He came from Oregon. USC's new head coach is Lincoln Riley. He came from Oklahoma. As well as Notre Dame has a new head coach, Marcus Freeman. Oklahoma has a new head coach, Brent Venables. And Oregon has Dan Lanning. Now those last three all were people that were defensive coordinators. Offensive coordinators or already within the system at the school. Like Marcus Freeman was a coordinator at Notre Dame. And he got promoted into that head coaching job. Coaches on the hot seat, Nebraska's Scott Frost, who they actually play today in week zero, and Auburn's Brian Harson. Even though Frost is a Cornhusker alum, the fan base has been extremely not impressed with what he's done. However, last year, there were a lot of close losses. So he was given another year to prove himself. He also took like a pay cut. His buyout got decreased. So there's a lot riding on this year. He plays also today against Northwestern in Ireland of all places for the Aer Lingus Classic. They beat Northwestern like 56 to 7 or something last year so he needs a win today Auburn has also had many games that they had the W's in the bag but fumbled not literally although sometimes and then let the other team come back in the game (coughs) Bama Also another major headline this year, the transfer portal was hotter than my car in Texas on a summer day. It is becoming more and more popular to transfer if a player isn't happy with their coach, their school, their experience, where they are in the lineup, if they're on the bench, and really anything else. So just sticking with quarterback positions, listen to some of the notable quarterback transfers that we've had this year that will make a difference in the standings of this year. Texas has acquired Quinn Ewers from Ohio State. Texas A&M acquired Max Johnson from LSU. Oregon has acquired Bo Nix from Auburn. West Virginia acquired JT Daniels from Georgia. Pitt acquired Kevin Slovis from USC. USC acquired Caleb Williams from Oklahoma. Nebraska acquired Casey Thompson from Texas. Ole Miss acquired Jackson Dart from USC. Oklahoma acquired Dylan Gabriel from UCF. South Carolina acquired Spencer Rattler from Oklahoma. And Kansas State acquired Adrian Martinez from Nebraska. That is all just at the quarterback position. So not only coaches and quarterbacks have changed schools, but conferences are literally being thrown into chaos. USC and UCLA dropped a bombshell, saying they're going from the Pac-12 to the Big Ten. Oklahoma and Texas announced they're headed to the SEC, and the Big 12 filled those spots with BYU, UCF, Cincinnati, and Houston. You'll hear this called the conference realignment. So that pretty much deals with the update, but I want to take this next part of the podcast to go through some of those common betting terms. And if you're trying to get into the gambling game, I want to go ahead and explain a lot of that to you. So let's take a trip to Vegas with me so that I can explain a lot of what goes on in that sports betting. My disclaimer here is just because I'm explaining gambling and sports betting does not indicate that I recommend gambling, especially due to its addictive quality to do it. Also note that these figures and pictures were taken from FanDuel online. However, no bets were actually placed. So if you're going to make some bets, things you can make bets on. The Heisman, Ohio State quarterback C.J. Stroud is the betting favorite right now at plus 200, which I'll explain in a second, followed by Alabama quarterback Bryce Young and USC quarterback Caleb Williams. Those are your top three. Alabama does have three players in the top 10 for the Heisman race with a quarterback, a linebacker, and a running back. Bryce Young won it last year, and if he wins it again, he would be the only defending Heisman winner since 1975's Archie Griffin. Also, something you can bet on is to win the national championship. Yes, you can already bet that. Alabama opened as the betting favorite and is still the betting favorite. The current odds sit at plus 180. That is according to FanDuel as of today, which is August 27th. Although you can pretty much bet on anything now, remember sports betting is only legal in certain states. And some even limit you to do it in person, so there's no online betting as well. For more on whether it's actually allowed, there is a link in the blog. So let's go over some things your boyfriend will be betting on and terms he'll be using that you may be confused by. The over-under. This will be expressed as one number for a total amount of points that will be scored during the game. You can bet that the team's combined scores will be higher, aka the over, than the total number or lower, aka the under, than the total number of points. So let's go through an example. It's so much easier to explain. During the 2018 Orange Bowl between Alabama and Oklahoma, the over-under opened at 79.5, 79.5, which means the Las Vegas betting gods think that the combined score from both teams will be 79 points. If you take the over, you only win money if the sum of the two teams' scores is 80 or above. If you take the under, you're hoping for a lower scoring game, meaning the teams scoring less than a combined 79 points or below. If the teams playing have good defenses, the over-under will likely be lower, which means less points will be scored. If the teams have a high-powered offense, like an air raid, which means they throw a lot, then the total will be higher. If you think it's easy to win a bet like this, just to prove my point, the 2018 Orange Bowl, it opened at 79.5, and the actual total points of that game was exactly 79. You can also bet the line or also called the spread. The line means that the amount a team is expected to win by. So let's go through an example. Let's say the line is plus three for the home team. Translating to the home team is favored to win by three points. So if you bet on the home team in Las Vegas, you will only win money if the home team wins by more than three points. If they win by four or above, home free, you get some money. If the visiting team wins outright by any score or loses by less than three, you lose money. On the flip side of that, if you bet the underdog, that means that you get money even if your team loses, but they can't lose by more than three points. If they lose by one, you still get money, which is kind of nice. It's nice to have your team lose and still get money. There is a figure that I have it like posted in the blog As That literally shows you when you win money and when you don't. I think it's a lot easier to understand. A lot of the time you can also see half numbers. So teams can be favored by plus 2.5, which means if the hometown team wins by three, you still get your money. That's a little bit nicer. You can bet this at the end of quarters or halves as well as during the actual game. That's called the live line, which means the line is literally moving during the game. So usually if the home team scores, the line will increase. The only way I would play those is if you have extreme faith in a team that will come back in a game and you can get the bigger line. I do not recommend this if you're new on the betting scene. You can also bet the team total, which is similar to the over-under that is displayed by one number and is the total number of points scored by one team. So it's an over-under, but it's just by the team. So if it may just be by Auburn, then you can just bet if Auburn will score over or under that amount for the entire game. So if you think about that team will score more than the number, you obviously go with the over. You can also bet on a win total. This is the figure of how many games you think a team will win in the season. So example, for this year, the preseason 2022, Michigan has a win total of nine and a half, which means that the Vegas gods are split and think the Wolverines will either win nine or 10 games. If you have confidence that Michigan will win 10 games of their 12 this season, you will bet the over. You win money if they win 10 games, 11 games, or 12 games. If they win nine or less, you lose your money. You can also bet on the money line. If you're new to betting, this is absolutely the way to go. You simply are picking who wins, but if you bet on the favorite, you just don't get paid as much. This is a lot easier to do. That's why you don't get paid as much because it's a lot easier. Contrary to that, if you like the underdog, this is actually riskier than taking the line because in our previous example, the visiting team was an underdog by three points to the home team so if you bet the money line to the underdog that means you're just betting them to win so even if they lose by less than the spread it doesn't matter you bet them to win another thing you can bet are parlays and parlays are bets placed on multiple things happening but they all have to hit for you to win so let's go through an example as always if you take a parlay of CJ Stroud winning the Heisman and Ohio State winning the national championship, you only get your money if both of those things happen. If CJ Stroud wins the Heisman, but Ohio State loses to Alabama in the Natty, your bet is a losing ticket. Also, parlays can be a number of plays. It doesn't have to just be two. It can be three, four, five, six, seven. It can go on forever. You can put a 10 parlay, 10 bet parlay in there. Also, parlays can be across sports. So if you want to bet someone to win the national championship, someone to win the Super Bowl, another team to win the March Madness, you can actually do that as well. Futures are the final thing that I'm going to go over. They are bets on something that hasn't happened yet. Usually, the earlier you bet these, the bigger the payout. So betting on Alabama to win the national championship or Georgia to win the SEC championship, those are considered futures. Also, you cannot bet on negatives. So this means you can't bet on someone to get injured or drop a ball or miss a field goal. We think that that's a bad standard to set. So that's just something that sports betting has not gone into. Now I told you I would go over how to read those bets. So there are several different ways you'll see odds. So let's go through some examples so you can understand what you win if you bet. If there is something that is plus 180. That means if you bet $100, you win $180. In addition to your $100, so your payout is 280. If the odds are negative, so for example, minus 110, that means you have to bet $110 to win $100 of profit. Again, your initial bet is 110, so you get that and a payout of the 100, so your payout is 210. So negative figures are worse payouts because they indicate that that is the favorite. So if you're sitting there like, great, Claire, this doesn't help me. I ain't betting $100. I want to bet five. Let's walk through that with the actual math. So you're going to bet $5 on plus 180. That would translate to $9 of winnings and a total payout of $14. Here's the math. You take 180 divided by 100. Then that gives you one8 times the number, the amount you bet, so $5, and that gives you your profit winnings. So then you add your original bet to get your total payout. On the flip side of that, if you bet $5 to the minus 110 favorite, your winnings are only $4.50, total payout of 9.50. The math behind that is 100 divided by 110, that was the, that was the odd, equals zero times your bet which was five dollars that will equal your profit winnings then add that back to your regular bet that would actually equal your total take home if the odds are six to one yeah or you see that as six slash one that means that for every dollar you bet you win six dollars again in addition to your one dollar bet The denominators don't have to be one either, so you can read it as there can be ones such as six six to two odds, which means you win $6 for a $2 bet, which is obviously not as good as a six to one odds. Again, gambling is not for everyone. No bets were placed during this podcast, but I wanted to go ahead and cover that as we are approaching a season and more and more states are allowing sports betting. That wraps it up for me. Gambling or not, college football is always entertaining. I swear sometimes you couldn't even write the plots better for a movie. So let the craziness and chaos begin. I'll be here covering this all season for you. Catch me on the weekly update, and I'd be remiss if I didn't say, boomer.